Welcome back to this week's episode of uh, Tapping Up Podcast with me, Daryl, and I should say, rather than welcome back, uh, Ben Tonato to you, Ian. Um, he's been swanned up in Venice this week, as we were discussing on the last podcast, while well, obviously some of us have been at home in this lovely weather, which obviously we enjoy today as it's pissing it down. Um, how were it? Good. Yeah, Good. yeah I like yeah. Venice. Uh, yeah. I won't bore our listeners, I'm not interested in that, but if you ever go to Venice... Take your walking shoes. Do a lot of walking. <laughs> good booze, good restaurants, but can't go anywhere without walking. Um, but nice little break. Uh, happy to be back here and um, still managed to do um, keep up with football and MMA, although I will own up. I didn't do my, my homework, so uh, I don't know much more about Cal the Dragon. Oh, I did a little oh. bit of Googling about Hezbollah. Uh, and saw a couple of videos. Not that are insulting this week, and it's, uh, uh, it's a lot of us listeners. All I'd say is, it's. I find it having done the research, it's not surprising. I don't know who he is because, what did you call him? A you TikTok sensation. Uh, which one, uh, Cal the Dragon or Aspola? Uh Well, both would appear from the. Well, Cal the Dragon is probably going to go to um, Qatar this year and play in the net for England because he's that good. And Hasbulla is the UFC's biggest prospect. So, refute both of those claims. I think you've. I inadvertently out. stuck my foot in it with Hasbulla last week, but with this cow, the dragon. I mean, this. I can play shit football in my garden in net. Like, if only there was social media when I was a kid, I would have been a TikTok sensation. I didn't show you, did I? I've just realised. So the the game again, we're going well off on a tangent here, but the game, the YouTube All Stars game, took place. Um, hilarious. I think it, the, the game ended up eight. Seven, it was. The uh, thing that I found most depressing because I didn't watch it as a surprise to you, and none of us surprised never. our listeners. What I did find the most shocking was one thing I read: two point five million people stream that nonsense. Yeah, and trying to start on a more positive note for those who listened, I all that made me think was that I was not wrong with the harsh comments I made about anybody that watches that garbage. But two point five million people is a crazy number these days. Um, again, you've got to appreciate the hustle of what they're doing to get those people in. But and one of the things that you pointed out last week, Champions League game. <laughs> why did I was? Why think two and a half million people watch the Champions League game? Can you guess what the sponsor on the sleeve was? Uh, only because you said that this fucking tap water, this hundred pounds. Correct. I think. Yeah. I mean, it was. I suspected it would be more obvious than a sponsor that they'd all be drinking at half time they'd have all of that i would have thought it might have been ksi himself on the front scene as he seems to be the front man of all this but i mean i don't remember 2.5 million people that's crazy yeah um but yeah as you say respect the hustle um we'll go back a little bit because again as it seems to be the format these days uh itching to talk about a few bits of, of ufc before we get into anything further um I'll let you take the lead on this because I think there's a certain structure of what you want to talk about this week. So, so I was going to start with, it feels like I'm fucking excited for it and we, we talked about the card, so UFC 280. Yeah. So it's actually the 22nd of October, so it's still three weeks tomorrow, so it feels like a long way away and it's too long to be talking and getting into it in terms of uh, previews, but that is a stacked card. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that the, the main fight card is six fights. Five of those six fights are fights I would absolutely cannot wait for good thing for us you pointed out I, I was wrong in this respect when we were talking I think it is in Abu Dhabi so it's around about UK time so it doesn't have to be late but I don't think I've got any plans in my social calendar I think we're watching that one and uh, staying up for a few beers if we watch it in a summer house then 
I can get locked in. I can't go wandering off uh, as last time, but I think you've got to watch that. Keys, yeah. That is a stacked card. But what I was going to talk about, so the, uh, for one of the, the, the headline fight, Charles Charles Dubronx Oliveira versus Islam Makalev. Makalev, I think my pronunciation. Second time we're right. Makalev. Um, and I just had a few bits on that. So there's been a bit of smoke getting blown up both of their asses I saw in the media recently. So you've got a guy called Javier Mendez, who is one of the head trainers at uh, ATT, which is uh, American uh, kickboxing. Um, I can't remember what the ATT stands for now, but it's a, it's a big um, gym in America um, that he's that the head trainer. And he came out and was saying that American top team, that's what it stands for, American top team. Uh, he was saying that Makalev is the best ever pound for pound lightweight. This is from a guy who used to train Khabib. Makalev is Khabib's protege. Uh, and Khabib, quite infamously, never really lost a round in the UFC. This Mendez has come out and said that Makalev took lots of rounds off him in training. He said he admits he never got the better of him, but uh, kickboxing and on the feet. But for him as a, and, and the, the people he's trained to say he's the best lightweight ever, whether he's just building the fight, trying to get a bit of promotion, which I'm sure there's a fair bit about that, but that's high praise for someone who trained Khabib. So... That kind of took it the the, the notches up a, a level, I thought. Uh, and then the only other thing was uh, on an equal note again, which made me think maybe it's a bit of tip for tat and, and, and smoke blowing. Here is uh, Mackenzie Dern, a world class women's UFC fighter and one of the best jujitsu um, ladies in the world, has come out and said that, uh, in her opinion, uh, Charles Oliveira has the best jujitsu for MMA. So she did make it clear she's not saying he's the highest level because, but in terms of taking uh, jiu-jitsu and applying it to um, the need for MMA. So Oliveira's got the most submissions tied in the UFC using it. If he ever gets punched, uh, he st- starts on the feet and there's a kickbox. If he ever gets punched, goes down to the feet, he will pull his guard and he's got a tremendous guard. So um, I read both of those. I thought it was an interesting build-up and just say, uh, again, a bit heavy, but... Um, I do, yeah. I do find it interesting that Oliveira's um, go into this as the underdog. Uh, I know that obviously this is something that's quite common from what you've told me, but personally, I'm obviously we're watching that together. But that's one of the fights that I'll be betting on Oliveira. I think his last four fights, he's been underdog, and he wins every time he finds a way. Um, the, the thing normally here is he, he has that jiu-jitsu as his backup, whereas uh, as Makalev is an incredible wrestler, so could can nullify that. But that is a a really interesting fight. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll watch that. We'll we'll give a, a bit of a breakdown and 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 some details of the other uh, fights on the card. There's two titles. The other title, I believe, is Aljamain Sterling mm-hmm. versus the cheetah DJ Dillashaw. So got pop for IPO, and he's never really quite lived that off. Uh, even though uh, a lot of other MMA guys have got caught with steroids, EPO is kind of seen as a little bit m- even more of a cheating. So, um, do you know what EPO is? I do not. Uh, EPO is it was very popular with cyclists used to do it but they basically I'm no doctor so I won't, don't want to fuck this up but I think they take your blood out they spin it in a particular machine that makes it more platelet rich and means you can process um, oxygen uh, better and then put it back into you so you don't test for positive but it's basically making your blood more efficient and it's seen as the ultimate in cheating because it don't pop for steroids but taking stuff out of you and putting shit back in see I didn't think I'd be learning that on a, a Friday afternoon but uh... that's what uh, what's his name was very famous for doing that uh, Lance Armstrong 
cyclists oh, as, well okay. as, as well as steroids. That, that's what I, like, Lance Armstrong got bus for EPO. But yeah, it's uh, high level cheating shit. So it's different than just taking roids and sticking a needle in your ass and getting really ripped. <laughs> Um, that is some high level cheating. So um so one step above it. Two two year ban Dillashaw got and is coming back from. But yeah, we'll we'll maybe go off into more detail close to the time because that's three weeks away. Yeah. Um I mean I don't know if you want to move on to the fast rising middleweight sensation that is Bo Nickel. Um it's funny because we were make our little notes for this and you you mentioned that you had him on your notes and I'd made made some notes on this and I I didn't think um It'd have come on your radar. So well, obviously, I'm, I'm the casual in this podcast on UFC, so if I've heard of him, then he must be doing something right. He's making some waves, so um, he is one of, the, allegedly, again, I'm not super into wrestling, but out of most aspects of MMA, it bores me the most, but he's supposedly one of the greatest collegiate wrestlers ever, and that's kind of, there's no professional wrestling mm-hmm. other than the UFC, and WWE and that nonsense, but in terms of actual wrestling at co- collegiate level is, is, is the best. Weirdly, just because we talked about it, I felt like I had to do a bit of Googling now. Uh, so his last two years in collegiate wrestling, he went undefeated with a record of 61-0. and 0. I found an article, this is just some guy, so his opinion probably doesn't, I, know, I haven't got his name, so I'm not, but read the article that Bo Nickel was ranked 26 of all-time college wrestlers. The guy number one I had heard of is a guy called Kel Sanderson, who we talk about. Number 13 on the list. You, as a cash fan, will have known of him. Former UFC fighter. And now, I was not knockout artist of YouTube boxing, but gets knocked out by YouTube boxing. Can you tell me who it is? Uh, yeah, I should do. Because it's going to be one of those that Jake Paul has um, sparked out. It was. But, uh, oh. Curly hair, I'm not, like, yeah. not unlike you, Ben... Askren? Yes. Ranked 13 of all time, apparently. So even though there's Bo Nickel, and I'll be honest, but having a quick read of that, maybe he's not quite as good as we think he's been well, made out to if yeah. he's 26 on the list and Ben Askren's 13. But he is, uh, he's been announced his first UFC fight is going to be in December at UFC 282. And he's opened up as one of the largest, uh, or the other guy is the largest underdog, I think, in recent times. This Bo Nickel is 100 to 1 on in his debut Jamie Pickett I think is the, uh, the guy so if the, you're this Pickett uh, lad if you are his trainers just from now till December train how to stop a takedown I don't know if they're going to be able to and that's not enough time but um, he's going to probably get absolutely steamrolled well you'd um, expect Kimaev style fly him take him down pound him out that's how it'll funny go funny that you should mention Kimaev because that's the, one of the reasons that I've made the notes on this because obviously Bo Nickel as a casual fan that I am, Bo Nickel has come onto my radar because he has been doing the old you know, recent modern UFC um, tactic of calling people out on social media. Um, so he called out Kimaev, which is a bit of a ballsy uh, first call out. Um, obviously, Kimaev has, has essentially laughed it off. Um, Cormier was a comment on it uh, on YouTube and basically just said, look, it's too much for you right now. Build up slowly, have your, your moment in the sun and then get to that point. And he also turned around and said that he would, uh, I think by the sounds of it, beat Darren Till. And Darren Till has put on Twitter, Bo Nickel is looking good. Be looking, uh, it'd be good to meet up with him in the future in the octagon and drive the left hand through his skull. 
So this is the thing. Would Bo Nickel beat both of Vekmaev and um, Till probably together in a wrestling match? Absolutely. This is MMA. Now it's, you know, Kamaev would just, even though Kamaev's a good wrestler, I'm sure he wouldn't even try and wrestle with him. And the same as Darren Till. Darren Till's a worse call-out for him because he's a kickboxer, as a renowned. You've got, he's got to get to him and take him down first. Now, he's English, Darren Till. He's not got the greatest takedown defence, so that would probably... But that's like some guy playing YouTube who is dog shit in his garden saying, I want to sign for Real Madrid and just jump into... Like, like start... Let's, let's build up. Let's build up here. Let's, you can't just go jumping in and, and calling out the, one of the top dogs in the division. That Hashtag just, the dragon for Madrid. Um... That is crazy, but yeah, but I mean, I, I can't help but feel they'll build him slow, Nicole, because he needs time to add to the wrestling skills. It's just because you are world-class in one thing, we've seen it too many times. Now, you can argue someone like Khabib, if you've got that wrestling base, wrestling is a hard one to deal with and one of the best groundings to be a good MMA fighter, but yeah, let's, let's see how he improves first and let's see if he runs through this picket and then um, see how they build him. I mean, I agree in that. I think Dana White has a bit of an issue at the moment in that he's got to build these stars up and there isn't, arguably, obviously you can argue against it, I don't think there's an abundance of stars that attract people. Like myself, obviously, I've got into a bigger fan since knowing you um, and obviously starting with the podcast, etc. But if I'm a casual fan and I take a look at the UFC, there isn't any McGregor's is the, the example I would put forward. So people like Paddy Piblet, he is trying to do it the right way. He's trying to be a bit cocky, getting a bit of um, influence behind him and then getting the fights ready. There isn't really that many people in the UFC at the moment that's wanting to attract it. I think Dana White has to do it the right way in building these people up, getting them to be megastars and then doing it and then unleashing them and then you might get the publicity on the back of it. Yeah, you're right and you've got no McGregor's because he doesn't really fight anymore when he used to and then the people who should be that big aren't to casual fans like a John Jones. Mm. John Jones is the greatest ever by most people's definition. You know, never lost apart from a di- disqualification, smashed everybody in his division and he probably gets more casual fans now. Most people know him for being a bit of a fuck up and drink driving, you know, all of the, the scrapes he's got with the law than his fighting achievements, which is a real shame. But you're, you're completely right. There are no stars. And the couple that, that Piblet's one that they're trying to maybe build and has got a bit of personality. You've got Sean O'Malley is another one that, again, he has a big, is it uh, Twitch? He's on the, you know, trying to bring an extra yeah. element to it that maybe some, some fans and, and things like that. But um, sadly, you've got your Muppets like Jake Paul have a bigger fan base than most of these really good UFC fighters. And that's my real hope in all this, is that Paul gets a little bit carried away with his own hype, signs up for the UFC in a fight, and then just some dog shit person who's ranked like 25 in the world kicks the fuck out of him, hospitalises him, then he realises what he's messing with. And this is not a game that you can play around. Boxing, to some degree, is, is, is the same, but it's not dangerous. You've got gloves, you've got the referees, you know, that, that you know there's going to come a point where... You take punishment, but MMA, you get a head kick to the head. You might not, you, you know, that, you could be in hospital for a month. I've got to just point out the fact I haven't mentioned Jay Paul once this episode. I've not mentioned YouTube. Not I'm sure on. you will. And yet, no, but, but the point is that you've mentioned this now three or four times. I think you're slightly obsessed. I think you, you're worse than me now. It's going to get to the point where I'm going to get sick of hearing about YouTube boxing. Um, I'm a secret fan. Um, <laughs> but. Yeah, I, I think that I, I just as you say that dabbling in boxing is one thing, 
starting to dabble in MMA is, is quite different. And I think, again, as much as I slag Jake Paul, I think even he would be clever enough to know that's not a sensible he, he's thing not to gonna do. do it, yeah, realistically. Um, any more on UFC? Uh, one final point, just because we talked about before, is uh, Melvin Manhoff, uh, real old school warrior, uh, retired this week. Um, just a few things for, again for the casual fans. YouTube him if you've never watched him uh, before. He is a as you say, a kickboxer by nature from Holland. Um, he's fought in every single promotion apart from the UFC, Bellator, all of the, the Japanese ones. But Pride back in the day. Had a quick look at his record. Record on the face of it, you wouldn't think is a bit of a legend. 32 wins, 16 losses, two draws. But of those 32 wins, 29 KOs. That shows you the type of person you're dealing with. He beat Mark Hunt, who was a heavyweight. Mower Man was a middleweight. That shows you how, how big and how powerful he was. Uh, he beat a guy called Sakuraba, who was uh, known as the Gracie Hunter, and beat all the Gracies when they were really famous. Uh, and only lost to the elite of the elite. So he lost to Tim Kennedy and Robbie Lawler uh, in, I think that was Strike Force before UFC bought that. Uh, and the, late, the, the fight he just had, which sent him into retirement, he lost to a guy called Yoel uh, Romero, who was in the UFC, freak of nature Cuban Olympic wrestler. So used to beat guys, but again, worth a, a thought. He, if we would gave someone like uh, Oziado a shout out, we've got to give someone like Melvin Manoff as well, uh, retired. But. Yeah, and he's actually retired on like. Kevin Holland, who probably hasn't, despite what he says. Again, social media in it, trying to get some something out of it, or yeah. get an outcry of no, don't. please don't. Yeah, but, please don't. Um, nothing else for me on uh, MMA today. Okay, um, we can finally move on then to me finally saying that football is back. Ah, oh, feels good as well. It, doesn't yeah. it? none of this international shit over and done with. A full Premier League card back. Thank Christ. Um, not looking forward to going on Sunday, I'll be honest, um, just because I don't like Sunday games. Happily watch it at home, but there's just something about going to a stadium. Fancy your chances, home to Villa? I, I think we'll beat them, don't get me wrong, because obviously the best team will, but I just... I, it's the Four whole, team back, you're telling me, isn't it? Full squad to pick from for Jesse? Probably uh, first time from, since he's... So apart from Adam Forshaw and uh, Archie Gray, who has apparently trapped his toe in a door. <laughs> so, fun fact for you there. Um, yeah, I think we'll win, and... I think Steven Gerrard's going to be in trouble if we do. Um, it's more yeah, just the idea of going to football and stuff. And season ticket holder, obviously, we've discussed it before. Really love going to Elm Road. The experience is unmatched for me. But there's just sort of out a Sunday game that I, I want to have my Sunday dinner, I want to chill out. I don't want Early to go. Early Sunday with a four o'clock game. Four, hour four. Hour four. Yeah, that's what I mean. So I'm not going to be On back. TV, though, so the cameras will be there. Yay. I'll get on camera again and looking. I'll be watching ecstatic. out in the crowd, looking for you, towards <laughs> you, and uh, looking so. miserable and, and shouting at my girlfriend. Um, but yeah, but obviously football's back. That's the main thing, and we've got a ridiculous schedule this weekend. Re- re- just regarding Leeds, uh, just regarding Liverpool, which we'll come on to. But big, big derbies finally. We'll come back to the, to the better teams, but I mean, should be two two big derbies. We want to talk about and preview a little bit. So, first one is North London derby for me. Okay, um, yeah. So, if we we look at that, um, two teams bang in form. Mm-hmm. Um, two managers looking like they found their groove and managed to build the teams very much in their own image now. Um, should be a proper game for once, and and Spursy looking less Spursy by the week and. Arsenal, 
proving a lot of people wrong that they seem to have a little noble still early on and I think we're both agreed that those two teams won't be the top two when it comes to it but should be a right ding dong this one the last Premier League game that we watched was funnily enough Spurs um, and obviously we watched them when we talked about them before where they steamrolled over Leicester it's not really for me an indication of how good you are whether you, you battle Leicester at the moment because they're in complete and utter disarray but Obviously, Arsenal can um, go four points clear at the top of the table if they win. So there's far more of an incentive other than the fact that it's a derby. Um, I've been reading that Smith rose out uh, after he's just undergone, undergone surgery on a groin issue. Has he been starting, though? I don't think he's been starting, has he? Uh, um, I don't think so. I think he's been coming on, but he's he's still a good player, still a, an impact player. Um, I think there's a late fitness check on Zinchenko, Party, and Tierney. So that's obviously... Very, very important for them because Zinchenko especially has, has been quite influential. Um, Spurs, on the other hand, if they win, can go above Arsenal. Um, and I think they would go top of the table, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, if they Obviously, if they beat them. And I don't think, off the top of my head, they've beaten uh, Arsenal at home. That's uh, Arsenal being at home, that is, since 2010 in the Premier League. It's somewhat ridiculous yeah. like that in terms of a stat. Um, Arsenal are at home though, aren't they? So yeah, I, that's what I, I think mean. if Tottenham yeah. were at home, I, I, I definitely think I would be verging towards Spurs shade in that. Um, I mean, I think this is the first, again, I'm no super Arsenal fan, but this is their first kind of genuine test this season. Agreed. I don't think they played anyone yeah. else relatively decent that's going to be 100%. in top four. So it's a bit of a yardstick and a how are they actually getting on. Um, well, one of the other things in terms of Spurs, they've obviously been doing quite well. Loris is a, a late fitness concern. Um, you've got uh, who's Spurs backup keeper? Whoa, it's a very good question. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Um, they used to have that Gazaniga, didn't they? The Argentinian, but um, I'm not entirely sure. Um, they've also got Kulevsky, who is a, a doubt, and Ben Davis, I think. Um, so yeah, I think it could go either way. To be honest, I think a lot of people will back Arsenal because of this start. I'm swaying towards Spurs I think that they'll get their first victory at Emirates for quite a while Fraser Foster I mean Arsenal got him in Signed the summer in, so um, yeah. interesting test for him safe today. pair of hands maybe for your cups and that that could be a, that could make a huge difference that's a, a real could be a real game changer if Lloris doesn't make it and back four probably haven't played with Fraser Foster before I mean mm-hmm. he's a big guy he's a big unit and he's got the ability to you know he's played in many Champions League games for Celtic I remember in Barcelona he used to have some some really good games down the years but that could be a real. Everyone's fit. I'd probably call it a score draw. I could see. I could think. It's... Sitting on the fence. Never a fan of that. No one ever goes for a, a draw. Is I'm it? not going to bet on a draw, but I, I could. I could see Spurs scoring and holding out, and then maybe crumbling a little bit as the pressure gets turned up towards the end. But are Arsenal good enough to beat Spurs? I'm struggling and are Spurs going to turn up away and win it? So that's why that's well, where the, my, this that's is the test, isn't it? I draw. think if Arsenal win and win comfortably, people will start taking note and start thinking, hang on a minute, they've got a chance to do some a little bit more than, than what's expected. I think if what I expect to happen, they either don't win and it's a draw or Spurs beat them. And I think I'm going to go quite comfortably. I think Spurs even though the occasion seems to get to them, because that's the, the nature of Spurs, I think they'll win by two or three goals here. Um, I, yeah, I, I think that Arsenal will be showing up here for what they actually are. They see, obviously, I might be wrong, and I've been wrong significant times before, but I don't 
I don't see them winning this. And I don't see them doing anything further. And I think this is the one point where their season starts to not derail because they'll still probably get Champions League, but I think they'll fall off and fall into players where they actually are. I would agree that I think Spurs are probably the favourites who've had to pick, but I think the way that Arsenal have been going forward in particular and Spurs are probably better going forward than at the back as well. So I could both both teams will score. I could definitely see there being a, a couple of goals a piece, um, being some goals in it, but um, yeah, draw. If you say if I had to pick one of the two, I'd definitely be more inclined to pick Spurs than Arsenal. I but. do have some fun derby questions for you. Um, derby obviously, questions. while you've been off swanning it in Venice, I've been sat at home researching the North the researching the derbies. Yeah, so. Top goal scorer in North London Derby? Kane. Correct, 13 goals. Most appearances? Current players or ever? Ever. Could be Kane again? Incorrect. That's an Arsenal player? Tony Adams. Uh, not far off. David O'Leary, 35 Tony appearances. Um, obviously, former Leeds manager. Most wins? Arsenal. Correct. Uh, Arsenal 79, Spurs 61. So it's not really close. Uh, the last player to switch between the clubs. Oh, I feel like I should know this one. Should do because it lives in infamy for uh, Arsenal fans, I think. Oh, I feel like I'm cracking under the pressure now and it's going to be, if I, if I wait too long, this is going to be a really shit I'm going to say painstakingly. Um, Adebayo, 2011. Oh, yeah. Obviously the goal... That. Fantastic celebration. Um, and most goals, as in team most goals, not player. Arsenal. Correct. 290 to Spurs is 255. So, fun facts for you. Um, we'll stick on derbies then, because there's a another big, big derby. Um, the Manchester derby. Obviously, City um, heading into extremely busy period of football at the moment. Um Derby Day victory is always important for both teams. I think more so for Man U, but Manchester City need to keep winning, obviously, um, just to keep the pressure off them, I think. They want to try and get to the top of the table. Um, hopefully, they'll, they'll probably, or in their eyes, hopefully, will be uh, expecting a draw or something like that in terms of the North London Derby to get them back to the, the summer. Um, hamstring injury for John Stones while playing for England, and we'll come on to England uh, in just a little bit. So he'll miss out. You might see a Kanji starting. Alongside Diaz, that'd be interesting uh, because Laporte is still injured. Um, still scored in midweek for Switzerland, I saw as well. He did, Kenji. yeah. Um, so that'd be quite interesting. It's quite a big test. Obviously, he was signed in summer. Not a lot of people think uh, thought that he would be doing much this season other than be backup to be starting potentially against uh, Manchester United. It's, it's quite a, a big way to throw yourself in. Um, obviously, Manchester United, uh, Ten Hag has just coming off being named Premier League Manager of the Month, September, which I still find disagree with. It's strange, yeah. Um, but this is clearly his biggest challenge since taking over. Um, Brentford was the biggest defeat. I could see something like that happening again, to be honest. Uh, obviously, they've got Harry Maguire ruled out because he's got injury. I'm sure that they'll be absolutely gutted at that and... You know, would be crying in the sleep every single Manchester United fan that they won't see uh, Maguire grace in their screens. Um, Rashford and Martial have been given fit at late fitness checks, I think, so they could be included. Be interesting to see what they do there. Um, yeah, it's got to be City this, hasn't it? At City, I mean, it would be more interesting if it was at United, I think, but I think 
Ten Hag gets brought down to earth with a bit of a bump here, doesn't he? Um, Haaland, they'll be pleased that he came through unscathed back from international duty. He's going to run ragged against Martinez, isn't he? The size of him and that those points about the size and despite our friend from the gym telling <laughs> us that size doesn't matter in, uh, and that he's the, the statistically the best centre-back just in to, the league. Just to cut in there, when you say that the guy in the gym said size doesn't matter, he was specifically talking about a Premier League centre-back. Just wanted to get that out of there. Which we both disagreed with. Uh, I, I think I can. the argument... You know, are there five foot eight centre backs who are good? Yeah, but when you're coming up against an athlete like Highland, who's what six four, that I mean, again, you'd be looking at. You'd think it's an Hag would be looking at that and thinking, is that an area where, as much as Maguire is in the most dog shit form of any centre back, considering he's the most expensive defender in the world, would be, do you go Varane and um, Maguire to have a bit of presence at the back? I feel like you've not listened to anything that I've just said because he's been ruled out through injury. And if you'd have listened to what I've just said literally a couple of seconds ago, instead of checking your phone, you'd have uh, you'd heard that. But yeah, Maguire's out. Ah, I checked it because I wanted to see whether he was at home. But um, <laughs> I, City, I can't see even defensive throughouties aside. I feel like they're going to get run ragged by, by City. Almost certainly. I'd be shocked if it were anything else. I think Haaland to score and City to win would be the bet. And it's probably going to be like... Half in terms of the odds, one to two or something stupid. Less than that, I would yeah, say. I mean, it, could, it could be a could be a hiding, being realistic, particularly if. Um, With it being at the Etihad, yeah, I absolutely agree. Three, um, you know, three. Of, I mean, let's be fair. City, they have these games, don't they? Well, when they click, everyone's there and bang. And if, if they just have one of those games, despite who they're playing, I think any team in the world pretty much gets run ragged by them. So um, I can't help but feel, man, you would. If you, if I was a Man U fan and you offered me like to take a one a one goal loss in that, I'd snap your hand off all day. Surely not. You take a, a draw. You never take a loss. Don't matter how many. It's, I, I, I would never go it. to a game and say, "Yeah, I'll, I'll take a, a slight." Deficit. You don't want to hide in though. Look at look no. at uh, what was the re- recent one we were talking about? Derby, um, Celtic beat Rangers. Yeah, never want to lose a derby, and I couldn't agree anymore. You'd never, but being humiliated in a derby is. Is, is as bad as it gets football-wise for the fans, you know. To City losing by a goal, there's no shame in that. There's plenty of teams far better than United that are going to get handed their ass to them by City this year. So as much as I agree with you, no City, no Man U fans ever going to say that. But that is not... the One one goal loss to City is not a bad result. I do feel as though they'll go for this, though, um, Man U, just because of the fact that this is one of those results that if they win, that kickstarts the season and they'll be... Definitely on for, for quite a confidence boost and to obviously see what they're going to next. But yeah, I can't see anything but a City win. That's, but yeah, that's that. But I do have some other facts for you, uh, other questions. So, derby related. Obviously. Um, so obviously now we're on the Manchester Derby. Top goal scorer? Rude van der Stroy. No, this one's an easy one. Wayne Rooney, 11 goals. Most appearances? In the derby. Also Rooney. You're terrible at this. Ryan Giggs. I'll 36. kill myself if I get any of these answers about Man U right in some ways. Some interesting ones on this one. So can you name the player that's been unbeaten in a derby and has played for both teams? No. His son was recently playing in the Premier League until... 
this season just gone in which he moved to France. Andy Cole would play for both, weirdly, I think, didn't he? But I don't I don't know how he's got Who's son? What, what player? Oh, Kasper Schmeichel. So Peter Schmeichel. Peter Schmeichel. Um, can you name... You, you won't get this. Can you name the manager to have managed both clubs? No. James Mangnall. Can you tell me the last player to represent both clubs? And I can't fucking stand him on uh, commentator now. It's also a pundit from BT Sport. Not Andy Cole? No. Which you fascination with Andy Cole? I've seen Andy Cole play for both. I've heard of God. Uh, Owen Hargreaves. Um, or big... didn't play for both, as he probably should be, because yeah, he was always injured. Obviously. <laughs> uh, biggest Premier League victory? 6-0. It's not far off. It's 6-1. So it's City in 2011. Um, 187 games between them both. Who's got the most wins? United by a long way. Correct. Uh, it's quite comfortable. So it's 77. Um, and finally, which team has the most goals between them? United. Yeah, but it's a lot closer than it, you'd have thought. So United 266 and City 257. Because obviously there's been a significant change in the tides uh, recently. So, um, we'll move away from Premier League, just because I do have a few other questions for you and a little bit to talk about um, new manager. England. So I don't want to spend too much time on this because I, I can't I can't stand international breaks and I can't stand how England play at the moment, etc, etc. But after taking note of some of the things that have happened over the international break, I think there's some key Southgate dilemmas. And again, putting the question out there for you. Number one. He seems to favour Maguire over everyone else. Can he be trusted to start? No. Players at England, it should be the pinnacle of your career, should be chosen on form. We must have four or five centre-backs at the moment that are playing better than that. I could understand it if he didn't then carry that form, disastrous form, we should say, with him into England. So there are certain players, he may have been one in the past, that no matter how badly they play for their team, when they put on the England shirt, they still do a good job and play to their ability. Sterling. Sterling would be a great example. Never letting... What you would say about Sterling, you, a lot of people dislike him, he's never let England down. I was signing myself in Venice, so I didn't see it, but I understand Maguire gave away a penalty and was at fault for a goal. Yeah. So, to me, that that is the ultimate no. And can he be trusted? No fucking way. He needs to be pulled out and he should be on form alone. I still take him. I think it would be unfair to drop him that far and not take him to the World Cup. He's fourth or fifth choice for me. Agreed. Um, who covers for Harry Kane? So obviously Kane is going to be starting striker. There's no real doubts about that. Who do you take to deputise him? You can give me one or two, or two or three answers if you want. I, again, I, I want to see a little bit closer to the form at the time and see, you know, again, it should be picked on form. I've got a bonus. I like Tony. I think if Tony's fit, Tony gives you an option. I like the fact that we talked about a crazy one that I said to you about that the, his manager, Frank, says he's the best penalty taker in the world. That's a huge plus for me, given England's record with penalties. So I'm definitely, if he's fit, I'm taking Tony. Let's be honest, we're not really uh, enamoured with a load of backup strikers <laughs> after, <laughs> after Kane. So I, I, I could see again, because Sterling's let, never let us down, are, are we better off maybe in the wide areas with people like Foden and other like that? You could shift it about a bit, but... I think Tony would be my 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 backup in in on current form if that's how we're picking it. Interested. 
thought you'd have gone Tammy Abraham. But, uh... I, I definitely take him. I, I think he's had a quite a start to this season. He, for me, they're the three. They're the Kane, Abraham, and, and Tony. I just think from what I've seen, uh, I think Abraham's only got one goal this season in Serie A. Yeah, I think so. So uh, Tony is in better form, but I, I like Abraham, and he, he's definitely going for me if he's fit. Uh, Pickford's going to be number one. Who's his backup? Again, I'm a big advocate. I've always said to you, I like Pope, but I hear Pope had a shocker in midweek, oh so that again has made me uh, sit more more on the fence. Um, probably Henderson. Henderson seems to be having a good season for Forrest. I think he, he, he makes saves. He gets a lot of action. Uh, again, I've never been that enamoured with, with Pickford. I think he's always got a rick and a clangery in, but incredible. I think we overskipped in the Merseyside derby. Absolutely incredible. Got he won with the um, save of the month. He, uh, that. So um, I think he's quite clearly number one and I'll wind me necking about Pope after his game midweek. So Pope's still going for me as third choice, but Pickford, Henderson, Pope. Okay. Um, <laughs> you'll like this one. Trent, does he no. fit into the squad at all? No. Again, I've got to be consistent. I've got to take my my, my club favour uh, and bias out of things. He is he the best fullback going forward? Yes. The way that he's played this season, he's not even top four for England. Rhys James is the most complete right back for me. Can defend. He can attack. You can get back. He, he, you know, he, he doesn't give you the outlet that that Trent does, but he's inc- just infinitely better defender. You've got Walker, you play there. Easy, better than Trent. Um, and the, I'm, I'm, uh, Trippier. Trippier, another one that never lets England down, plus gives you the outlet from free kicks. So I've got to be honest, unless he suddenly can learn to defend between now and the World Cup, I don't think Trent's even going, in my bite. I do kind of feel as though we're at the point where you're trying to show me the door at, uh, at Liverpool, depending on what Ramsey does. I am. I can't wait to Ramsey to come back because if Ramsey can actually even just stand there, he can do more defensive work than Trent. <laughs> the, Trent is our Maguire at the moment. That's how woeful, and he's letting everybody down. He, it does give you going forward. We've got that attacking part, which is a big part of our game. But your fullback's got to be able to defend first and foremost. So, yeah, unless he unless he changes things up in a big, significant way and gets some form, um, I wouldn't be taking him to the World Cup. Final one then. Um... Any doubt with starting Bellingham? No. Straight into the team? After Kane, second name on the team sheet. Absolutely incredible the way he's playing. Um, every game looks worth more and more that amount over 100 million. Starter, 100% first name in the midfield for me. Is there a worry that he is rising too quickly? No. I just think, think he's. Uh, with it all. Yeah, I, I think he's surrounded by some, some, some pros that you might think would be able to help him. That's where someone like a Henderson might come in. That you know, Even if he's not playing for England, he's there. He's you know, a talker. They always talk about what he gives you off the pitch. There's enough other good pros there. I think Rice seems a, a decent kid with his head on his shoulders. Um, I think he's only going to get better and better. And for me, we need to get him signed up by the World Cup because if he has an outstanding World Cup and does what we keep banging on that he might well do, um, he might be out of our reach by the time it comes to next summer. But Which yeah. I, we can definitely see. Obviously, we've spoken about him quite a bit. We spoke about him last week as well. Um, Could be young player of the tournament easily. Yeah. Something like that. You know, I think even even though England probably be lucky to you know, get quarterfinals at this rate, he, he, he looks outstanding, doesn't he? Every time. Um, so... He's High lucky hopes. that obviously Willie Nyonto isn't going to the, the World Cup because then obviously he'd be 
young player at tournament. But uh, yeah, he might have a chance now, Bellingham. Um, yeah, just last thing, just on football. Um, I've taken a bit of a, a keen interest on, mainly because Brighton always seem to do this, but Brighton's new coach. So they, they brought in Roberto Di Zerbe. Obviously, Potter's gone off to Chelsea. Um, it'd be interesting to see how that works. And First what, game what against the magical Liverpool this weekend. Exactly, yeah. So, takes charge. Um, first time on Saturday, to Anfield. It's not really an easy start, Big is ask. It? Yeah, it's a pretty difficult start. Um, he's also got, in the first five games, so after he plays you, um, Tottenham, City and Chelsea are included that. Oh, so, it run. is a pretty... Difficult start, should we say? Baptism of fire, to say the least. Um, obviously, Brighton fans extremely disappointed from what I can see. I'd be shocked if anyone wasn't a, a pot leaving. Um, again, I'm interested to see what he'll do at Chelsea. It's probably a, a question for a, another podcast because we'll, we need to see how he starts first. But I've been looking into Deserve it. In all honesty, I don't know. I didn't know that much about him before he, he came in. I thought. It's a bit of an odd appointment for, for Brighton, but usually Brighton are, are quite shrewd in their appointments, whether it be with the players that they bring in, with the coaches, the, the backroom staff. Um, he seems to be, you know, I'll listen to James Horncastle, who is uh, on BBC Radio 5 Live, who was on the Euro Leagues podcast. And he was essentially saying that Deserbi is one of these new wave of Italian coaches. So he, he isn't influenced by uh, your Algaris, uh, your Ledgeries, sorry, or your Capellos or anyone like this. He is growing up, well, he has grown up with far more access to the Spanish football and Premier League football, um, and, and therefore he is completely different in the sense that he is far more risky, to say the least. So he, he likes teams to, to come on to them. Um, he likes to, obviously, play through the press because of the numerical advantage that we've seen other people implement quite successful in the Premier League you've got Pep that does it obviously Bielsa um, Klopp to a certain extent does it as well and a lot of Italian old school coaches have been quite critical of how he's, he's approached this um, obviously he made most of his, his early name for himself at Sassuolo so two eight clip finishes in Syria um Missed out on European qualification on cold difference in 2021 uh, or 2028 and 21 season. Um, in last year, so in last May, he went to Shakhtar, won the domestic Super Cup within the first few months, um, had a 66.67 win record, so a percentage win record, got Champions League qualification um, and went to the first place in the table. But then obviously had to leave with everything that happened with the war. Um, so he's been out of the uh, out of a job essentially since all that happened. Um, obviously Brighton have brought him in. Um, a very, very good fact that I found of him, and this, this makes me quite keen on him to be honest, and even more reason to watch him. He uh, apparently broke off a news conference and said, I need to go watch Leeds United play because uh, I want to study Marcelo Bielsa. So fair play to him. Um, he's apparently also sought the counsel of Pep before taking charge at Brighton, he's had a conversation with him, um, apparently quite a, a good conversation with him about Premier League football, about implementing his style, and, and obviously Pep being the, the individual that he is, has apparently given him some quite good pointers, etc. Um, you always read this, which is the, the most frustrating thing, especially obviously with me being a, a Leeds fan and having to hear 
be able to get through them um, all the time. So apparently the biggest potential barrier for him is his language. So they're saying because he doesn't speak fluent English at the moment, he needs an interpreter, um, it's going to prove to be a huge challenge and it's going to be very difficult for him to implement his style. Obviously that's not the case when he went to Shakhtar, so I don't see how that's going to be a big issue here. Um, and obviously they, they've uh, currently, I think the fourth in the table at Brighton, having beat Leicester 5-2 the last time they played. Obviously there's a bit of a weird um, way that the fixtures have, have rose, obviously with... with um, because yeah, their game was called off because yeah, of the Palace. train strike against yeah. Palace, that's right. Um, and funnily enough, four points above you. So I'll be really, I'll be keeping a keen eye on that because I'll be really interested to see how that play is implemented. Obviously, I don't expect them to go to you and win. It'd be a fantastic result from if they did. But especially over his first five or six games, he is one that I am definitely keen to see how he develops. I think I think he'll do well. Obviously, it's a bit of a shot in the dark, but Brighton always have this habit, as I say, of pulling a rabbit out of the hat. Did it with Potter. Um, and they've done it previously as well. So definitely one to keep an eye on. And I, as I say, I know you'll be watching anyway, but I, I'm definitely going to keep a, a close eye on it. Three o'clock Saturday. So um, I will um, watch it if I can find a, a dodgy stream or such like. Um, one thing that uh, I read a really good article actually breaking down his style and some stats about him. I don't know if this is the same article where you found some of that from on Sky, uh, Sky Sports. So it was talking about, I think he had... Uh, in his last two seasons at Sassuolo, um, the highest amount of dribbles by a team, the highest number of sprints, uh, maybe the highest number of shots. I mean, like I say, clearly plays a, a relatively fluid attacking brand of football, which is un-Italian in, in the stereotypical way of back the sort of being able to defend, um, you know, uh, from, from, from a few years ago. But um, yeah, I, I, I would probably back everything you said. I think Chelsea... Uh, Brighton have a habit of like they do with players the Salcedo buying for four and a half million out of nowhere suddenly a couple of months uh, you know 18 months later they're talking about him being a, a world beater and paying 50 million for um, very highly rated in Italy they were talking that if Juve had pulled the plug on Allegri and given him a bit more time now Zerbi was going to be their, their number one choice so you know the the old lady you know the, the most successful recent uh, team to, uh, Italy at the moment were seriously looking at him so um, I think it's a real coup for Brighton. I think they've done well. Yeah, as I say, definitely want to keep your eye on, I think. Um, having said that, as with everything that I say, I'm sure it'll be an absolute disaster now. I'll be sacked in four games and uh, we'll never... It's a tough, but as you say, it's, again, he's probably won judgment in the season once he's got those games out of the way. He's had a chance to implement his own ideas. You say, I think he has a similar football philosophy as, as sort of possession-based uh, as, as Potter did. So I don't think it's starting from scratch and he's got to necessarily build the whole team in his own uh, vision again. He can work with the players that are there and I've got to be honest, that's where Brighton are quite shrewd. That's where it feels like he's he's not a square peg in a round hole. You know, he, they, they've got a few good players and uh, it'll be interesting to see if they can keep a hold of them from Chelsea because I see a couple of players coming out and that Cat Salcedo has come out and said he'd play for Chelsea as has Trossard. I'd be interested to see if Brighton can keep a hold of their players uh, 
you know, and without uh, a few more of them following Potter to Chelsea. They're one of those clubs that even if they can't keep hold of them, they're going to get sixty million from a stupid per player because they're, they're and they'll find they'll go back into their yeah. money ball based system and find some other gem that they that they can get. I mean that that McAllister is having a great season already. He would fit probably in a similar role to to Trussard. Trussard goes to Chelsea. It's easily fifty million, if not seventy, something crazy like that. Brighton don't need to sell him. He's probably got three or four years left in his contract, um, but. Interesting to see. I'll, I'll we'll update next week because I will watch the match live. So we'll see uh, how he gets on and putting his ideas across. And uh, he's obviously had slightly longer than a lot of new managers would, given the international break and those games. So he's had a, a little chance to see how he can work with the squad. So um, it'll be interesting to see. You can definitely watch uh, his fantastic style of play through tears and uh, as a you know you four nil down at. Half time. Um, I'm sure you'll send me many texts. If he's got half a brain, he puts Trossard out on the left against <laughs> Trent, and it could easily be the problem of being that, that many down. So um, yeah, I'm sure they will. Again, he doesn't. If I can decide, to, you, you need to target Trent. I'm sure a man of his uh, research and footballing knowledge will be all over that, and that would have been something they've been working on. Uh, last little bit then. So. Not really that much on boxing this this week. Um, obviously, there was the the Joyce Parker fight, which I'm pretty sure, uh, if I remember what you said last week, uh, I won't be staying up to watch that. Uh, I won't be watching this. Yada yada yada. Uh, what did you do on Saturday night? Watched the boxing, didn't I? <laughs> Snagged it off to high heaven. Um, watched new Batman. For uh, Mrs. was out. Sort of thought, right, I find something I wanted to watch. That fuck me. That was long, by the way. Good film, but three hours. Uh, just so happened, then it went to, went to bed. I thought, do you know what? I've got that f- to the, the boxing to watch. Let's stick it on. And um, stuck it on. Was not a good fight. Again, not going to be a, a fan that brings in casual fans or uh, you know the um, passionate fans of uh, the, the sweet science that boxing is. Uh, I thought. Parker started really well, if I'm honest. I thought Parker was, was good to start with and, and and faded. I'm really not buying into the hype on uh, on Joyce, though. I thought he was... No. He's got power, clearly. Uh, relentless forward pressure, which is to be commended. But very flat-footed. Took... I mean, got a chin on him, to be fair. Took some big punches from Parker in the early rounds. You can't get hit like that by a Fury, an AJ, even an Usyk. That's going to take its toll, but... Impressed with his chin was his most impressive uh, aspect. I thought he did take some some big cracks and Parker's no pussy. You know, he he can throw down. Um, He tired very quickly, Parker, I thought. And again, whether that was that relentless pressure from Joyce. But yeah, having watched that, I'm even less inclined to see Joyce fight one of those big three. I think they just absolutely... number two heavyweight in the world, if you believe... Some people the on WBC, media. <laughs> if you believe Fury, who doesn't look big and um, which I'll be honest, I'm getting sick and tired of this now. I just want either this fight to be sorted or it never be to be sorted, it never happened, and I never hear about it. Any real Tyson Fury fans out there that I love him, uh, I only see some of this that you show me, but man, that man is a silly sausage. Uh, <laughs> he said that video the other day, I've never seen the word sausage said so many times in. An abusive video or smack chat, uh, smack talk. It made me think either is this some euphemism that I don't get, which I suppose sausage could easily be, or is he getting sponsored by fucking a sausage making company? Because he kept saying he's a silly sausage. Um, but it's, I love Fury, but he's starting to wind me up. Keep going to fucking social media, keep talking shit. Get, get your team to make the, the, the better offer to AJ and. 
if it has been on the table a week, you don't need to do all these stupid videos. AJ looks a pussy. So I what I want is, that. he's I coming out and that. saying all this fury. Oh, he's been there a week. We haven't heard anyone from AJ's camp come out and say, that's bollocks. They haven't given us these terms ever, which you could argue silence tells you everything, but... Make the fucking deal, guys. Come on, let's get this fight done and let's see it. It's not, not back and forth on social media. That doesn't... In fact, it's probably antagonising the situation rather than helping it. So, well, Eddie manager, Hearn, take his phone off him. Eddie, yeah, good luck. Yeah. Um, Eddie Hearn came out and said he just doesn't understand what's going on. He said that they're still in talks. There's been no deadlines set in the actual talks themselves. The only deadlines being set are by Fury on, on social media. Um, I'm pretty sure... Frank Warren came out and started saying, oh, you know, this, that, another. I, I don't know why he's not signed it. He's had it for a while and, and backing up whatever Fury says because obviously he'll do whatever Fury tells him to do because he's just Fury's lapdog at the moment. Um, but, yeah, it, that's just not how contracts work. I know a lot of people think that you can just throw a contract in front of you, get it signed and it's sorted, but there's far more intricate details to it. It's not something that can Put be Put the effort, in. instead of making silly fucking videos on TikTok into telling your team... I don't care about this and that. If he's as brave as he's saying is, they seem to be pretty agreed on the 60-40 split, so that can't be a problem. That seems to have been agreed for ages. Get it done. And that, that for, someone needs to take his phone off him, just say, this is only antagonising the situation. And ultimately, they're both minted anyway, let's be fair. We lose as the fans. So if they really are the two fucking warriors that they want to be known and go down in history as, fight the fight. Get it done, sign the fucking deal, give us what the world wants to see. There's probably been about four more deadlines set in the time that we've uh, spent recording this podcast. Ten videos calling people <laughs> sausages, like, as you say. It, 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 I love Fury. It's been probably clear that in, in these chats, you're more Camp AJ, I'm yep. more Camp Fury, but when you show me some of these videos, I'm like, come on, Tyson, you're better than this. You don't need to do this. You didn't get big doing this. This only see this particularly in being a bit of a social media star seems to have only come about recently, and I can't help but think he's bored out of his fucking mind. This is why he's doing it. Train, eat, yeah. sleep, fight. Do a it again. I mean, just it, uh, yeah. It's, I, I'm, he's starting to grow my irk, which is as fans of the podcast know, isn't hard to do as a miserable old bastard like me. But um, I just want it done now. I want it done. I want that date in the diary. I want to see that fight. Only other thing to mention, um, just because he's been giving it big and again, and obviously we're getting closer and closer to this fight, Eubank Jr. has come out and said that he will retire should he lose to Ben. He's also said that he's only going to be 60% for this fight because he's not taking it that seriously. There's been so much nonsense spewing from him. And the more that I, we get this build-up, the more I've already said to you that I think Ben's going to knock him out anyway because I think Eubank Jr. isn't anywhere near as hyped up as he or his dad thinks that he, he should be. Um, I'm just getting sick of the talking and I'm quite looking forward to seeing this fight just so that it ends. Two things on that. One, dangerous. Really, you know, any man can ever lose. You shouldn't ever be saying, I've, you know, if I don't do this, I retire. Well, you're going to look a complete mug if you then lose and you backtrack on that for a start. But two, that sounds like a fucking excuse to me. Yeah. I'm only 60%. I'm the... Well, one, if you are only 60%, you don't tell your opponents that, or you come out afterwards if you win a boring fight and you haven't laid him out by saying, well, actually, I was putting out... Look at um, Canelo, put up with a wrist injury to beat Triple G. Didn't give any of this, oh, I'm only 60% beforehand. Came out afterwards. That's what true warriors do. They, get, they, need, they, they go to the fight, they do what they need to do, and again, when you immerse yourself in the world of boxing and, and MMA like we do, 
it's very rare that any fighter is a fully 100% because of the nature of the beast. They're all carrying some injury and this and that, and they've had to rehab it or get stem cells or get an operation after the fight. So that screams excuses to me straight off the bat. Someone saying before a fight, I'm only 60% and I'm not taking it that seriously. He deserves a clip around the ear from his trainer. Take it fucking seriously. Come out. If you lose, you can say all that shit to build up maybe for the not beforehand for his me. His dad tried to pull him out. Do you see all that? So his, his dad had come out and said, oh, no. So it's about the weight cut. His dad was yes. I've, I've lost the son. Okay. I don't want to... Which is, I mean, using that in these particular terms is ooh, questionable, to say the least. Um, well, not being only that, you can't do that. He's a grown <laughs> man, like... If I wanted to go into a fight, my dad can't do shit. And he, can, he might say to me another word, hey, don't pull, it, pull out. He's got no power whatsoever. So I, I thought that, again, showed a division in the camp. Even his dad's not with him about, why, why would you want to pull him out if you think he's going to steamroll someone and he can train and properly do the weight? So it, it's not looking good, to no. be honest, for him, for, 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 um, for Eubank Jr. in the build-up. Feels like excuses, a division in the camp. Um, We'll see this time next week anyway, so obviously when we record next week's podcast, it'll be the weekend of the fight, so whether more things have come out then, whether they do a little bit more smart talking, which obviously is expected. It's bound to get ramped up, especially by this time last week, it'll be just before the weigh-in and the... the, 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 So I'm sure smack talk will be at a premium by that point, but yeah, something's not quite right there for me on that. Uh, Again, I think we did talk... I'm not that interested in that for fight. I will watch it, because if I watched Joyce Parker, I'll definitely (laughs) end up watching that. Um, But... The signs are not good for, for Eubank Jr. at the moment, I would say. Yeah, I think it's, uh, as we say, going to be comprehensive for me that, that Ben wins, but we'll speak about it more next week. Uh, as always, thanks very much for listening this week. Um, and Arriva Dirty, Ian. Ciao.